0: Hello, welcome to the D&D Roundtable. I'm James Intricasso. And I am Rudy Basson. And guys, today we are going to talk to you all about Gen Con, which is where we are in Indianapolis. Uh, but first, I want to remind you to please use the affiliate links on thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or DD Classics to help support the show. Just go to thetomeshow.com, click on the links in the show notes for this episode or any other, and then shop as you normally would. Pretty easy, right, Rudy? Very easy, James. Yeah. You know who else we'd like to thank for sponsoring this podcast, Rudy? Who's that, James? Noblenight.com. Of course. Do you know that Out of Print is available again at Noblenight.com?
1: I was aware, but if I wasn't, I would be
0: blown away. Oh, my goodness. And they have D&D and other tabletop RPGs, any edition, any product. You can go there. You can even sell them your old gaming products that you're not using anymore. And let's hear a quick word from them, from you and Vegas Lancaster. Let's. Sunday,
1: Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Wednesday
0: Thursday, Thursday, Thursday Friday, Friday, even Saturday. Even Saturday. Noble Knight night is a brick and, and mortar, mortar game, game store. store. Support small businesses that, that also exists
1: online. Open 24/7 on the web. They have D and D and other yeah. cool RPGs. Any edition, any game,
0: even out, out of print, print products. products at a discounted price. That's out of control! Have a bunch of old game products collecting dust? Dangerous allergens!
1: Noble Knight will buy the old stuff you aren't using anymore. Looking at you, Indiana Jones so RPG. So go to noblenight.com Noble and get by it and sell it. Take back your life and tell them the Tone Show goes. sent you!
0: Alright, we're back. Guys, we're gonna get right into it. We're gonna talk about the news from Gen Con, and then Rudy and I sat down with the Joss Whedon of Gen Con himself, Mike Merles. Um, But first, we're gonna talk to you about some of the stuff we did, and some of the news we experienced. We went to one of the organized play sessions for D&D. We played Defiance in Flan. It was a good taste of D&D Next, I think. You only really got through one encounter, because it was just an hour, but... You know, it, it was a fun time, and they were running games constantly in the D&D area. Uh, if anything, I can say D&D is very healthy.
1: Yeah, I uh, I don't do a lot of organized play, but we had an excellent DM. His name was Dave Olson. Mm. A lot of props. He did a great job.
0: Um, Thanks, and Dave.
1: Yeah, thank you very much, Dave. You're a cool guy, if you're listening. I'm sure you
0: are. <laughs> I also want to talk to you guys about the Monster Manual oh. giveaway Rudy and I heard about. Yeah. So. Um, if you, those who were lucky enough to sign up for the all-access pass, which meant they dropped about $150, they got a whole morning or afternoon of DD adventures to play, and then they got some exclusive Gen Con adventures as well later on in the week, they got... The monsters manual given to them here at GenCon early,
1: signed by the entire R and D team.
0: Yes. In the as well. Yeah, exactly. So there are some lucky people out there. Jeff Greiner is one of them um, who have early access to the monsters manual. So, uh, bully for them, shall we say? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we also should talk about Dungeonscape, right, Rudy?
1: blown away yeah i am really really impressed i was one of those jerks who was kind of hesitant about it because trapdoor didn't have much of a record and i was not super thrilled with the past uh, products that have been shown and released by wizards but we had a quick demo with a very knowledgeable lady and it was really really impressive um, character creation this was an alpha and it was so polished and streamlined I didn't believe it. It it seems like this could be their release product. It was really straightforward, really simple. You choose your race. There's pictures, descriptions of all the races. You choose your class. There's pictures, descriptions of all the classes. It was really clean and polished for an alpha. I, I'm very impressed.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we should mention that this dungeonscape is what was formerly oh, yes. known as code name Morning I so
1: like the name a lot better. Too. Yeah,
0: yeah. I think it's a better name, and it's uh, it just it's so cool. Like it's it's yeah. it's really like you said. It, um i seemed like a finished product and uh it's an alpha so i can't wait to see what they come up with more of
2: yeah you know
0: um and mike talks about it a little bit more in our interview with him so you get to hear more um and word on the street is that uh within the next two months we should see a release and pricing
1: model also very surprising and very happy to hear that it's they announced it a few months ago it's already coming out from the end of the year that's That's amazing. (laughs) Given their track record of when things are announced versus when they come out. Oh, yeah. definitely amazing.
0: Yeah, exactly. And we also, uh, you know, we should mention in light of this podcast and everything... We got to meet for the first time Jeff Breiner and that was yeah. excellent. Yeah. He's an awesome dude. Yes. Jeff, I know you're listening. Shout outs. You're
1: taller than I thought you'd
0: be. Yes, yeah. Much taller, much taller and very handsome in person. Oh, so very much. Yeah, yeah.
1: My shirts too, cool
0: shirts. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So Jeff, it was great to meet him and he took us around. We met a bunch of people who are on the podcast normally, so that was really fun. And Rudy and I also played some non D anD D games. We, we got, did. Yeah, we got to play Fate. Yeah, which was awesome. Yeah, we had
1: excellent GMs for both of our games. Yeah, that's that's the, we we not played either of them at all. And to have someone who's really knowledgeable at the system, really friendly, and really good at teaching you how to play is a uh, it makes the whole experience great, and our players were all fantastic. <laughs> all the players at uh, our fake game and our Savage Worlds games that we played were really cool guys, really friendly. We exchanged, you know, Twitter accounts and Facebook accounts, and, and ended up following and friending some of them.
0: Really neat guys. Yeah, absolutely. So, if you couldn't be at Gen Con, you should know that pretty much everybody is very awesome, (laughs) loves games, willing to talk with you. You know, you can go to any booth and people will have a great conversation with you. Yeah. Um, so, in fact, even the people who just work at the convention center who have no idea about games are really nice. Yes,
1: that, that is absolutely true. Go Indianapolis.
0: You can find the GM from our fake game on Twitter. He's a very cool guy. He is at Ricky Warren. That's ricky r-i-k-i warren w-a-r-r-e-n uh and he was really great taught us the system we knew nothing about it took the time to sit down with us like
1: cool dude we were late so it was especially kind of him for all of his patience. yeah
0: exactly and there's one other person i'd like to give a shout out to and we're going to link his products in the show notes Um, So I don't know if you guys know D&D Jester. Uh, He is on Twitter. He tweets a lot about D&D. He's a great guy. He gets a lot of really good news and everything. And uh, he has published, among many other things, a guide to world building. Um, And as you know, my blog is all about world building. And I met him at Gen Con, and he gave me a copy of his book, Uh, I've already been thumbing through it. It's really awesome. I recommend checking out his products and other books, and all of that will be linked up in the show notes. Um, But, Rudy, why were we late to that fake game? Remind me.
1: Uh, We were late because we were interviewing a Mr. Mike Merles. That's right,
0: a Mr. Mike Merles. And I think the people have waited long enough, don't you? I do. I think we're
1: very entertaining.
0: We are, but we're in the interview. Yeah, that's true. You're right. That's a good so, point. <laughs> so we'll continue to entertain you, but we're going to add Mike Merles to the mix, people. So uh, let's roll the tape. Rolling. <laughs> All right. Hey, guys. This is James Intracasso. I'm here at the con with my good friend and roundtable regular, Rudy Basso. Wow. And uh, right now, we're sitting here with Mike Merles, star of the show. <laughs> uh, Mike, how's
2: the con been so far? How are you feeling? So far, so good. We made it through the first day intact. Uh <laughs> Handed out some monster manuals this morning, that was pretty exciting, so a little treat for the, the all-access guys and uh, our judges. And yeah, so far so good, signing books, answering questions, and uh, it feels pretty good to have the game finally out there. Oh yeah, I bet. How did the crowd react when you gave out the monster's manual? Oh, they were pretty excited. So yeah, <laughs> they were, because we, we kind of we kept it secret, which was kind of cool. So it was a nice little moment of surprise for folks. The uh, So yeah, it felt pretty cool. And it's felt really good having people, like, now that they're reading it, some of the reactions, people getting excited, <laughs> and it's, like story text, the flavor, the art. So it feels good to have all that work kind of coming together and knowing we're doing something that people are excited about. Oh yeah,
0: absolutely. I know we sat with at a table with a guy, we were playing uh, Defiance and Flan today. And he was like, "I can't l- open the book yeah. because I won't do anything else the rest of the con." So yeah.
1: So we just got some general questions for you sure. about D and D about uh, media in general. So these days, there's so much media that everyone has access to: Netflix, video games, mobile games. What's the plan to keep D and D thriving and still in people's eyes?
2: Yeah. So a lot of what we're doing is uh, we're focusing on sort of these this idea of these big storylines, like. Uh, Tyranny of Dragons. That's that's the storyline we're launching here, Uh, and over the next few months we'll be expanding on it. And so, what we want to be able to do with D anD D is focus the conversation on story, because that's something that no matter what media we're working in, or type of game, or you know, if you're a fantasy fan, we can talk in the language that makes sense to you. So, if you think of Tyranny of Dragons, it's about it's the the five-headed queen of dragons attempting to conquer the world, right? If you've played Skyrim, or if you've read, say the Uh, different fantasy series, you know, Patrick Rothfuss or something like that. If you're just into fantasy, you can hear that and go, okay, I get it. It makes sense, right? And hopefully, if we're doing our job, it sounds interesting. And then we can look at it in terms of, well, we have the Neverwinter MMO. You know, we have the tabletop role-playing game. We have board games. We have have miniatures from WizKids where maybe you might like one or many of those types of games, but it's something we're pulling you into it. We're not just relying on just the tabletop role-playing game having a conversation that only tabletop role players can take part in. It's really about casting a wider net. And especially as we do more video games, more digital stuff, that's something where it's more cohesive. We're not like, oh, this is like, this is D&D, but this is the real D&D or any, you know. It's (laughs) kind of things are syncing up and making sense in a way that you can go as deep and as broad as you want as a fan. yeah. Absolutely.
1: I guess to follow up. Has anyone from Wizards of the Coast, like, worked with Cryptic specifically the MMO? Has oh. anyone like written quests or things like that?
2: So I know um, Bob Salvatore, uh, the author of the Drish novels, he did some work directly with them. A lot of what we do is uh, we, we're, we're kind of in the business now these days of creating what we call story bibles. And so for Journey of Dragons, that like lays out: here's the basic plot line, here are the villains, here's their motivation, here's some of the heroes. You know, for games where you may not make a character and here's the, the core conflict, and then like for the, the tyranny there's like, here are the, the cult the dragon cultists, here's how they dress, things like that. So we're kind of giving them a lot of that core material to then, okay, here are the playing pieces. It's almost like saying, it's like here's an RPG source book, now create your campaign cryptic, or Kids, you know, like what, what, do you, what do you want to do with the story? And so we're kind of like the, the centerpiece is that story bible, and then we let our licensees or the own products products we do, they're then drawing on that lore. You know, if you look at the WizKids Kids miniatures, it's not an exact same. But we had Kobold Press doing the adventures, WizKids Kids doing the miniatures. But there's a lot of crossover points where you can see, oh, the miniatures are taking up yeah. the story. It's not exact, but since they're both drawing from the same well, there is a lot more. Okay, right from this, the get go, you know, you can have that. The the they're coming up at the same time, they're coordinating with Gale Force Nine coming in, they were actually able to with the the, the, uh, the resin miniatures that the paint. They were actually able to take the uh, manuscript from Cobalt Press and make the exact miniatures of some of the villains and stuff like that. Uh, and they look cool. They look <laughs> yeah, they cool. do a great job. Of it. Yeah. <laughs> so we kind of have that sense of coordination. And then you can imagine if we had, say, a PC game, you mm-hmm. know, or an action, you know, an action RPG, we'd do something similar there, you know. So it's okay. everything's kind of syncing up, and making sense, and you can kind of come into the door we're not necessarily writing the exact story, but we're providing the fuel for the story that someone else is going to tell. We've heard a lot about, um, you
0: know, that you guys have more stories in the works and there's going to be more coming for Forgotten Realms. And, you know, we can guess based on some of the live stream talk that you've had that there might be some other settings coming. Do you guys ever toss around the idea of maybe coming up with like an
2: original setting for this edition as well, once you get out everybody's favorite? Yeah, I think it's, it's definitely something we've thought about. You know, the uh, I mean, definitely for now, the realms is big enough, and oh, we have sure. some other settings to delve into. Mm-hmm. But I think what what you might see us do, if we ever get around doing that, uh, it, it won't be for a while. But it'd probably be something where we said, look, the, here's a type of story we want to tell that we don't really think we can do justice with one of our existing settings. And then we might look at, well, what does that mean we want a new world? A new setting, or a new area of the realms, or something like that. Because uh, when you look back at Eberron uh, from about ten you know, ten years ago, the third edition, it, it was really interesting because it did things that, well, Warforged just really would, they kind of clash the realms or other settings. Not for sure. So I think we have to see something where we have to spark an idea, a great story,
1: that would lead a new world wrapped around.
2: That would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Nice.
1: So, um, fantasy is really popular right now. Right. Game of Thrones isn't just a show, it's an event, you know. Right. Uh, D&D was on Community, it got really well received. Um, is that something you guys had in mind to go for this new audience on making in the game? Yeah. Or, or, and the older stuff with the iconography, was that kind of the goal? Yeah, I mean, a lot of what we saw with
2: D&D was people going, hey, remember D&D? <laughs> Especially <laughs> people like in their 30s and older. Yeah. And it was like, well, what can we do to extend that conversation to like to new gamers? while still making it so people coming back to the game, or people who are playing the game right now, wouldn't feel like they're being left out, and pushed to the side. So a lot of these ideas of keeping some of the language consistent. You know, having a look where, you know, oh hey, that's, you know, that's an orc, but it's kind of a new style, but I recognize it as an orc. You know, I recognize it as an owlbear, or a green dragon, you know, things like that. So it's definitely, there's a balancing act. But the idea being that if you have a new player, the more they can relate to existing players, or, or you know, it's a, you know parents teaching children, you know, their kids want to play d with them, you want to create those ties so you have those really meaningful connections between people. You know, because D&D is D&D's very social. Mm-hmm. Know, the tabletop role-playing game kind of fuels everything else. I think there's a sense of a shared culture around the game now. It's really it's a subculture on its own. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I was just talking, we had a prior interview, you know, why do we keep the spell leveling the way it is? So it's, you know, first, a third level caster casts second level spells, and why not just make them look third? <laughs> A of, well, that's kind of the language, right? And like yeah. any language, it has its idioms, it has its irregular <laughs> verbs, you know, and you're kind of preserving that because that's kind of the language that's grown up in the subculture, you know? And so, really trying to make that consistent, but while, but also while extending the welcome back to new people, you know? Because, yeah, fantasy is huge, right? Yeah. I mean, Harry Potter, everything else, the past 10 years, fantasy has really taken off. You know, so much like movie special effects, right? Now you can do a fantasy uh, exactly. world yeah. without it looking cheesy and things like that. It's, uh, You know, fantasy's always been popular in genre, you know, like fantasy and science fiction. And now, kind of like comics, too, it's starting to extend now into, like, just general culture. Right? Right. So, so we were very aware of that. And we didn't want people who liked d to feel abandoned, but we had to be kind of let it welcome that analogy. You know, roll that out so new people can come in with it.
0: Exactly. Well, and along those lines, the gender and sex description that is in the basic rules mm-hmm. and the players handbook is some of the most um, progressive and interesting and like for my part really wonderful language yeah. to see yeah, and I it really
2: feels great. like you're extending that that out you know yeah. oh yeah 100% because we just know, in a lot of ways uh, that's just that's, that's where we're going cultural right mm-hmm. and we also know we yeah. kind of you know we're from Seattle <laughs> so that's kind of our personal beliefs. And, but we also, you know, what's been really encouraging about that is I have yet to have anyone, well, maybe one person, but they didn't direct it at me. We haven't gotten any negative feedback. I know. Because I think it's just, especially for the younger generation, it's accepted, right? Yeah. And so a lot of it is just catching up and then hopefully setting a tone where people do feel welcome. And, you know, because d &D is all about being whoever you want to be, you know? And so we want to be as open as possible. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, and it's also your art depictions oh, you wanna, have,
0: yeah. have been amazing, all sorts of races and cultures, and, you know, um, and that has been great, and women in full armor without a lot of chainmail bikinis and things like that, it's been incredible to see, so, uh, you know, it's clear that you guys have are pushing that forward, and you're, like, a leader of this industry,
2: so yeah. it's great to see all of that. And that's part of it, too. Like, we, we kind of know we are, in a lot of ways, we, we set the tone you know, and it's, so it's important for us to be on that forefront and to be pushing in that direction. You know, because that's part of fantasy becoming mainstream is you know, more more women, more gender gender equity in terms of the audience. You know, more diversity. You're not going to get mainstream acceptance unless you're doing that because it's no longer just the playground. I mean, when I was a kid, it was all you know people like me. <laughs> you know, white nerdy guys. Right and, right. and that that's not the future. You know, no. and, and it's great because right? I think it, to me it does show gaming, comics, what used to be geek culture is now just becoming our culture, yeah, and that's awesome, yeah. right? That is so exciting, because it's its fun, it's great, it's a fun culture to be part of, you know?
0: Exactly. So, yeah, like you can picture the athletic kid and the bookish kid together on the playground playing d yeah, you know? like exactly, That's yeah. pretty cool.
2: So, <laughs>
1: yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah. Um, so Kickstarter has really changed the industry, I'd say, RPG-wise, there's... A new RPG coming out every day from an established designer, it feels like, does that excite you that there's more of a genre here, or does it worry you a little that people might talk to other games instead of games? No,
2: I, I, th- I think it's great, because okay. what it does is, I think, one of the things that happened with the G20 system and everyone used it, I don't want to have, that's good, because I like d so. 20 right. But I think when you look at role- role-playing games as a whole, it, we kind of have uh, a divide now between traditional games and indie games. And I think what has been great about indie games is traditional games, I think for a while people didn't want to take any risks. They were thinking, well, you know what, we kind of, let's kind of approach things in the way that DD at the time, third edition, was approaching them. Heavy rules, big rule books, and things like that. What I think Kickstarters enabling, And also the indie approach, where it's like small start small, build up, you know, take take risks, because it's opening up much wider vista of more. You know, in the 90s, the uh, the big thing was settings, right? People were taking a lot of risks with different settings, and things like Deadlands, a mashup between magic and horror and westerns, you know, <laughs> Legend of the Five Rings, or the Samurai Fantasy game really, you know, taking on, things like that. And I think we kind of hit creatively, you know, the design community of tabletop role-playing kind of hit a wall. you know, especially in traditional publishing, where we're kind of just going back to the same wells over and over again. So I think things like Kickstarter, indie publishing, creator-owned stuff, that's really where we need that we need that innovative by the like, hotbed of innovation you know to really keep driving things forward and the design effect things like things like inspiration you know encouraging role-playing that's straight out of designs in the past five years right where well, we're seeing that grow and people really reacting to it because you know, d is you know there's some areas where we can lead there's some areas that we can well you know this is kind of where role-playing is how far can we stretch things mm-hmm. and so you kind of need from a design standpoint those designers pushing the boundaries and forging those new paths because in some ways we're, in some areas we're going to follow in some areas we're going to lead but you, it's, I don't think it's healthy if only one person's trying or one voice is leading you, know, you need that diversity it's good right and yeah. that, and to me as a player it's exciting <laughs> I love seeing the new games right and it just it makes it a vibrant community right because you have things to look forward to and I you know people will argue online about this that whatever the um, but, but I think overall, it, it's really good for game. Yeah, especially empowering creators is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome to see all of these games and stuff.
0: Speaking of the future, do you think we'll be seeing some psionics in our future in Fifth Edition? Uh, psionic
2: so. power. <laughs> <laughs> so it's definitely something we've talked about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Monster Manual, some of the monsters refer to it. You know, like oh, this is a, this kind of you know, psionic abilities and stuff. But it's something where. I don't think we have a good answer to the question, what is Psionics? Some people would say, hey, it, it was it's an alternate casting mechanism, right? Third edition, point-based magic, things like that. And some people might focus in the story. Well no, it's this kind of weird type of power that maybe it's kind of connected to like, well, mind players and avalas. what does that mean? Like is it is it healthy to use this stuff? You know, and so kind of going back to the idea of story, you know, for us I think a lot of it is, well, what is the story of Psionics? What's the real role of clones? And I don't think we have a clear answer. I think it's something where that might kind of, like we have the open play test with the game as a whole, you know, do we do something similar for, with, with specific topics, psionics, prestige classes, you know, things where they kind of have a history, but is it the right story we're telling of these things? Are they, are they in the right position? So it's definitely something we're thinking about. And we're definitely thinking not only what we want to do, but how we want to do that. Or what makes the most sense for the game to keep the game healthy. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Uh, yeah, and also, I guess, regarding the future, um, there was no PDF release with the new PHP.
2: So, yeah, so right now we've got the uh, uh, Dunge- uh, Dungeonscape, the yes. uh, yeah, the tool set for right? yeah, iOS, Android, PC. So uh, we're kind of letting them right now sort of blaze that trail for us. Okay. Do, Trapdoor is doing some great work. We don't want to, say, come in, because you know, we really, with, with PDFs and stuff like that, Again, it's kind of this question of like, what's what's the best way to do it. We don't want to just default to PDF because that's what's out there. Yeah. But we also know like with the tools, well, can they fill that gap? We don't want to sort of preempt them by saying, well, here's PDFs now, well, are people going to go to the tools? They feel it's kind of obviated. We also don't want a position where people maybe feel like, well, I bought the PDF because that's what's available, but now I have to buy it again to the tools and things like that. So we want to take, kind of like we do with the playtest, take our time make sure we're making decisions that are healthy for the long term rather than rushing into things. Now that's what we know people like having ebooks. I mean I freely admit I've got I have PDFs on my iPad. <laughs> you know, I have access to them. Right. So we definitely know there's demand. We just want to make sure when we make a decision and start creating things, we're not six months later or a year later thinking, oh we kind of just messed things up, especially for a partner. You know, so we want to make sure we're supporting them, giving them the best chance to succeed. Because we're really excited what trapper is doing. There's really great possibilities there, they're doing great work. So we want to be supportive of that response.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, when we're talking about story, obviously the big story right now is Tyranny of Dragons, but we know that you guys are working ahead. Will we see hints of those stories within Tyranny of Dragons?
2: Will we see like what's coming next and? Where should we look for that kind of thing? So the uh, we've got a comic book series coming out through IDW, ah. and I know that Jim Zub, uh, the writer, mm-hmm. he has seen both the *Tyranny of Dragons story bible and the next story. Ah. So there might be some things in there he's worked in to get you some... I can't promise you, because I haven't seen the scripts yet, for issues, uh, three and uh, later. But I know he's definitely aware, it. we were just in a panel and he was kind of talking about knowing where the story's going and what can you do to set some of that up. So. So we definitely like are trying to see where we can put some hints. Yeah, so. gotcha. and where what's the name of that comic book if people want to check it out? So the new comic is uh, from IDW and it's titled Legends of Baldur's Day. And the first story arc will stars Minsk and Boo, his a uh, trusty space hamster companion, and it covers the Tionia Dragon story arc in Baldur's Day.
0: Nice, nice. So if you want a hint, check that out guys. Yeah.
2: Alright, well, if people want to learn more, find out more, where should they go? So, dungeonsanddragons.com or dnd.wizards.com Either one of those will take you to our website. We'll have all our latest and greatest there. All right.
0: Fancy and new, it looks great. So, Mike Merles, thank you very much for joining Rudy and I on the roundtable today.
2: Cool, thanks for having me on the show, guys. Thanks. Nice. Yeah, thank you.
0: Alright, and that was our awesome interview with Mike Merles. He was, like, a surprisingly good dude. Yeah. Uh, I, not surprisingly yeah. in the sense of, like, we thought he would be bad, but he was just, he had been giving interviews all day. We were the, his last interview of the day, and he was just as kind and energetic and friendly to us. He was laughing and joking with us. Just a really great dude, don't you think? I absolutely agree.
1: Really, really nice guy, and very talented, obviously.
0: So, Rudy,
1: Yes. where can people find you? You can follow me at Rudy Basso, R-U-T-Y-B-A-S-S-O. There's a very goofy picture of me right now, <laughs> standing in front of Drist and Quentin. Year, that's right which is the panther of course <laughs> so any true fan would know uh, exactly I look like a big idiot so do enjoy
0: that yes yeah he was making a great face and it was hard to pass up <laughs> and guys if you have a question or topic you'd like to hear us discuss on the round table uh, you can reach out to me on twitter at james intro that's j-a-m-e-s i-n-t-r-o-c-a-s-o or you can leave us a comment on the Tome Show's website, thetomeshow.com. Or you can reach out to Rudy oh. on his Twitter, at Rudy Basso. Do it. And a quick shameless plug, check out my blog, which is all about Exploration Age. That's the fifth edition world that I'm building and Rudy will be playing in. Yeah. It's at worldbuilderblog.me. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Rudy. And thanks to Mike Merles and everybody else at Gen Con. Also, many thanks to Jeff Greiner for letting us join the Tome Show lineup. Our theme music was composed by Eric Michaels. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. Keep on rolling. Keep on listening to the Roundtable.